What a great little illustration. It really is true. Life is like a roller coaster, isn't it? There are those days where you have those highs, and it's like, whoa, look at the view. And the next thing you know, you're plunging down into the lows. Then there's these twists, and there's these turns. And so life is a lot like a roller coaster filled with excitement and fear. But life isn't like a roller coaster in that life can fly off the rails, can't it? And there are no seatbelts in life. You, there's just no way to ultimately be safe. Except God in his wisdom and in his grace gave us a seatbelt called the local church. A place to help us when life gets out of control. A place to find help to meet our needs when we struggle. Good morning and welcome to Grace Church. It is a place to belong. And we've been kind of exploring what that really means by going back to the first church, the very beginning of this thing called the church, and drawing some very important truths out of that first church that we need to remind ourselves about as the people of God today where we are now. So if you have your Bibles, we have been looking in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 together. I want to invite you to turn with me there. Also, if, if you don't happen to have a Bible on you, not a bit of trouble, because right in the chair in front of you, down underneath is a black, what we call our worship Bible, and that worship Bible, if you turn to page 911, you'll find the church. 911, you'll find the church. I still think that's cool. That's why I emphasize it. You know, what do you do when you're in trouble? Call 911. What do you do when you're in trouble? Find a church. Because that's why the church exists to help people as they struggle and are challenged through life. So we are in Acts chapter 2 this morning. Now, just before we actually look into this, this idea of being a real community, I just want to thank uh, Courtney and I want to thank Tony for sharing with us this morning. Steve Cox came down ill about a day ago and said that he could not be here this morning. So on a moment's notice, they kind of jumped in and filled in this morning. So I just want to say thank you to those guys for being available and helping us to worship the Lord together this morning. No, you didn't come to the second service. But uh, the folks from the second service jumped in here to give us a hand because Steve was down and not feeling very well. So thank you, uh, folks. So we have been talking about this thing called real community, Acts chapter 2 church. And we've been drawing out these truths, truths like they were a redeemed community through repentance and faith in the gospel. They were an exciting community because the gospel continued to bring transformation of life. Today we're going to look at being an authentic authentic community together. The church was an authentic gathering of the people of God. Now, what I'd like to do is I'd like to just start reading from the beginning, uh, verse 38 of Acts chapter 2, and then I, I will put up the words from the section we're going to look at today. But I think context is always helpful. So, Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 38, notice what it says. It says, and Peter, the apostle Peter, said to them, now this is the pilgrims who were gathered in Jerusalem for the feast of Pentecost. There were probably up to 300,000 people there. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized. 
Now, he had just proclaimed the gospel, the good news of Jesus to them. He told them to change their thinking about what it means to be right with God, embrace Jesus by faith, and then the fruits of, of repentance will be seen in being baptized in his name for the forgiveness of sins. Here we go. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That in and of itself is phenomenal. For the promise is given for you, Peter told the people of that day, and for your children, that is your descendants, and for all, don't miss that, and for all who are afar off. That's us. We're afar off in geography, we're afar off in time, but it's still true for us. And with many other words, he bore witness, and he continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves, rescue yourselves from this crooked generation. See, nothing ever changes. <laughs> so those who received the word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. This is a big family, brand new family. And this is where the church comes in. First church, verse 42. And they devoted themselves. The word devoted means in spite of opposition, they continued to persevere together. And they persevered in the apostles' teaching, in the fellowship, that's the gathering together, the, the saints in participation with each other, to the breaking of bread, which I think is communion, and the prayers, which are set times of prayer. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Now I want you to notice, I pointed this out last week, the awe comes before the wonders. The awe was actually the transformation of lives. And then in addition to that, the, the apostles were also working signs and wonders. Oh, this was an extraordinary time. And here we go. This is where we are today. And it goes on to say this, as we consider authentic community. It says... And all who believed, they were together, and they had all things in common. Notice it says all things in common, and then part of those all things were actually some physical things. And they were actively selling their possessions and their belongings, and they were distributing them to the needs of all as they had need. Notice. There was a freedom here of giving. There was a freedom here of receiving. This was a time of incredible authentic. It was a very authentic time. The word authentic means to be real, to be honest, to be transparent with one another. Now somebody has said this and I think it's well said. We are to be authentic with everyone, with everyone. We are to be vulnerable with some. We are to be intimate only with a very small few. And so when it comes to this thing about who we are and who we invite into our lives, we're, we're meant to be authentic with everyone. It says here, and they were all together and they were actively selling their possessions and belongings and giving to those in need. They were being very authentic here. And there was an open authenticity before everyone but when it comes to being vulnerable, going to that next deeper level, it's important that that only be a, a few people. And then when you become intimate, actually bearing your soul with somebody, that's even less. But we are meant to be authentic with everyone. We are to be open. We are to be willing to risk. We are to be willing to be vulnerable with one another. If someone had a need, they expressed it. If someone had a means to meet that need, they gave it. Now, now listen, how do you explain this kind of selflessness? 
How, how do you make sense of people not being concerned about being taken advantage of or, or feeling threatened about their own welfare or their own future? How do you explain what is going on here? This is, this is not normal. Would you say that's true? Now, in communist countries, they force you to do this, right? That's what communism is. You have, I take, I give to somebody who doesn't have. But this is not communist. Well, it's Christian communism, but there's a difference. In that it was free, freely done, freely given, freely expressed, freely received. The only way to understand what is happening here is to go back a little bit further in what we just read and understand that they had just experienced the grace of the living God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Think about it with me. They were there that day, and they did not know what it meant to be right with the living God. And Peter preached the gospel that God does for us that which we cannot do for ourselves. The good news that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into this world, perfect and sinless. He lived an absolutely righteous life, and then he went to the cross, and he died there for us, taking our sins on himself. And Peter said, repent. Change your thinking about what it means to be right with God. It's not the law. It's not your goodness. It's not keeping the law. It's actually turning from all of the stuff that you can do to Jesus Christ alone, who has already done everything to make you right with God. So that day, they repented of their sins and their selfishness, and they embraced Jesus Christ, were given forgiveness and his righteousness. Now notice what happens. Immediately thereafter, Jesus not only deals with the penalty of our sin, there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, but he now is actively delivering us from the power of sin. This is what they were experiencing. They had just just had all their sins forgiven. They had been made right with God. They were now living in this community, and they were overcome with the reality of the grace of God. These were very austere Jewish people. They lived their whole lives straining at gnats and, and trying to find the details of life to become pleasing to God. Yesterday, I sat down and I watched the story of Martin Luther. Fabulous story, fabulous story. But he lived in fear all his life. Never knowing if he did enough. Never knowing if he could be right with God. Until he found that passage in Romans chapter 1. That says grace, uh, uh, righteousness is by faith alone. When he found that in that moment. All his fears had been released. Because it wasn't him who would make himself righteous. It was Jesus who had done that on the cross. And that's these people. Oh my gosh. We're free. We're free. And it was all because of Jesus. And so, they were experiencing something unique, something very special, something, something very wonderful that enabled them now to be able to risk, to, to give with, with, with generosity, to receive and not worry about if they're going to squander it, to possibly even be hurt or even being taken advantage of. They were all willing to risk greatly. Because they had discovered something that didn't simply make risking feasible, but joyful. And that was God's grace found in Jesus. You see, Jesus led the way. He who was rich, the Son of God, part of the Trinity, made himself poor by coming to earth, living our lives, dying our death. 
so that we could be made rich in him. And in effect, Jesus said, follow me. Follow me. I have given you new life. Now it's your turn. It's your turn to become transparent. It's your turn to give and sacrifice. It's your turn to be naked for the needs of others. It's your turn is what Jesus is saying. And so he calls us to this. And so notice what happened. Those who were rich became poor. So that those who were poor could be rich. How do you explain that, Jesus? How is that possible? Grace. Well, what is going on, God? There's nothing human at all in any of this. It's all of God, all of grace, all of Christ. It's the beauty of the gospel. And when that touches your life, you're new. It's just new. All of a sudden, you live out of gratitude. You live out of joy. You don't live worrying about everything. If he could take my sins away, he can deal with anything. If he could die and rise again, he can deal with my problem right now. That's how they're thinking. I just want you to understand the difference grace makes. It makes all the difference in the world. And it's supposed to. It is supposed to. Now let me ask you this. How naturally does this come to us? To be sacrificial. To be naked, if you will, before others. To be transparent, vulnerable, authentic. How easily does that come? To be willing to risk our welfare and our future for the needs of others. How easy is that? You can say it. I'm not doing it. Go ahead and just admit it. I'm not doing it. Yeah, I know. I know. And that's the natural human reaction. No way. Absolutely no way. And yet... This is what the church is. This is what the church is about. It is not something to be consumed like a product. It is not to simply come through the doors, to check the box, to sing some happy songs, to go back into your life and live how you wanted. By the way, I paid for the show. Thank you. There's my money in the offering plate. And then we just go back around. That's not the church. That's a performance. That, that, that's well done, Pastor Bill. Thank you, Courtney. Thank you. No. The church is a family. We are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And, and just let me say this. This is meant to be God's laboratory on life. You and I being together in close proximity is meant to be God's little cauldron where we are being refined in our faith and in our character. This is God's intention for this thing called the church. You know, it's not just about giving away our stuff. But, let me just give an addendum here. Because that is the focus of what this section is about. I just want you to know that there is a sheet out there on the connections desk. And the sheet is simply called this, I can help. The I can help form, I simply want you to do this. Uh, When a need becomes known, and this will come to the office... Uh, You can help, and we will contact you. If you can help, we will contact you. If you are able to then meet that need, we will put you in contact with a person in need. So this is simply this, a simple form to fill out. It says, I have a gift, an ability, or a skill that I'm willing to give someone in need. 
And I kind of outline what that means. Whatever it is you have to give. Maybe you've got time. Maybe you can drive somebody to the hospital. Maybe you can drive somebody to a doctor's appointment. Maybe you can just sit with somebody who's lonely. I don't know. But the goal is that you would just write in there that I can, I can offer this. And then I have some stuff that I'm willing to get rid of. You know, furniture, appliances, clothing, bedding, whatever. You don't want any money for it, but you're willing to give it to somebody who has a need for it. So I just want to encourage you that we'd like to get this information in, and that way as needs come known to us first in the congregation and then possibly outside, we would like to pair up your ability with somebody's need, your stuff with somebody's need. And we would like to prov provide that kind of thing within the family of God. Now, there's also a place online to do this, and it will be sent out by Courtney tomorrow to all the small group leaders to encourage your people in your small groups to think this through so we can build a reservoir of things that we have for those who don't have. So, that's part of what it means to be the family of God. But as incredible as this is, it, it pales it pales in comparison to all that God has called the church to be. Notice with me, there are a, a, a ton of these things called one another statements that you will discover throughout the New Testament. Largely the writings of the Apostle Paul to the church. And one of those statements is this, we are to be devoted to one another. Again, that is the idea to persevere through hardship no matter what. To be continually connected to each other in spite of what's going on. To be devoted to one another. But that's not it. It goes on to say this. We also are to, are to not judge one another, but we're to accept one another, to care for one another, to serve one another, to bear one another's burdens, to be kind to one another, to forgive one another, to encourage one another, to stimulate one another to loving good deeds, to keep meeting together with one another, to confess our sins to one another, to pray for one another, one another, one another. And it is best summed up with one term. We are called to love one another. You see, this is what it means to be family. This is what it means to be the people of God. We get together and we do the one another's. But you know what's going to happen in the process of trying to love somebody? They're going to offend you. And, and, and you know what? It's easy to say, that's dumb, and, and just move on. But no, 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 we're family. We don't do it that way. So what God has designed here is this little laboratory on life, this little cauldron, where stuff is sticking out and hot and nasty from time to time, but it's on purpose because it's in the process of working through the issues with my brothers and my sisters in Jesus Christ, loving you that I can now love and forgive my unsaved neighbor. If I can't do it with you, how can I ever do it with them? So I'm learning how to do that with you. And you're going to show me grace, I'm going to show you grace because we both know Jesus. Now my neighbor's not going to show me grace because he doesn't know Jesus. But I've learned to deal with that in here. Now, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you're to love your enemy. Now how are you ever going to do that until you've learned how to love your brother and your sister? So what I want you to understand is this. We are family, and family sticks together. We are devoted to one another, and we are going to bother one another to no end. We're going to get on each other's nerves. We're going to get under each other's skin. And that's all part of God's plan. Because it's by doing these things within the community of faith that we learn 
to forgive. That we learn to overlook a wrong from time to time. That we learn to love one another. You know, Jesus said this, all the world will know that you are my disciples by your one for the other. In other words, we get along with each other, even though there's a lot that's not compatible about who we are. I'm flipping all of my words this morning. But this is what the family is about. This is why God made this thing. We come in with brokenness, and we share that brokenness. And some people are quick to jump in and help with that brokenness. But we all need to work with that brokenness. You see, that's what family is. You know... God is wise. Uh, amen? <laughs> that's, a, that's called a truism. I, I can just, God is good, right? I, I mean, it's, it's just what it is. But, but what God's intent is, is this. While I want the church to be a place where you experience happiness. I really do. I want you to be happy. I, I really do want you to be happy. The goal of the church is not to make you happy. The goal of the church is to make you holy. And it's in the process of pain. It's in the process of rejection. It's in the process of being offended that we learn to deal with these things by the grace of God and come out the other side more like Christ. So this first century church, man, they were doing it all. People were freely giving and receiving and there became problems along the way. But they learned how to deal with them. And they didn't just run away when things got uncomfortable. Authentic community, being real with each other. And that allows us to actually deal with the challenges that are going on in our hearts and in our lives. I want to spend just the uh, next few minutes together with you talking about how how God's designed for us to grow. Remember, we've already talked about being saved by faith alone and Christ alone, by repentance. Now let's talk about how he's actually at work in our lives, making us more like himself. This is the part where he's breaking the power of sin in our lives. So the church is really designed by God to be this laboratory on life, this crucible for refining our faith in our character. But we need to understand that what God is after is he is after our hearts. He is after our hearts. Now the heart is, is in the Bible the center of the being. Uh, you, sometimes you can refer to it as the soul. But it's, it's really the place of our mind, our emotions, and our will. And so this is the heart of the individual. And Jesus said it's all about the heart. The mouth speaks out of the abundance of the heart. Proverbs tells us to guard our heart, for out of it come the issues of life. So notice it's black. It's dark. This is us before Christ. Then the good news comes to us. And that good news hits our ears as good news. I can be delivered from my sins if I'll but repent of my sin, turn, turn from the way I've been choosing to live, and embrace Jesus Christ by faith. I will be given life, eternal life in him. So it begins by receiving Christ into your life. And Christ enters into our lives. He, he himself said, I will step into your life. The Father with me and the Spirit of God will be sent into you. So Christ brings himself into our lives and he redeems us. 
But what I want you to notice is all this unredeemed territory still in our lives. I'm an unbeliever, as are you. Because while Jesus steps into our lives and forgives us of our sins and gives us his righteousness and puts us in a right relationship with God the Father, there are still vast areas of our life and character that have yet to be redeemed. Which means that we need to let Jesus Christ continue to redeem the unevangelized parts of our heart as we move forward in community. This is how he grows us. This is how he draws us to himself and makes us more like himself, is he continues to be at work in us. Now, follow along, please. If you want to take some notes along these lines, I would encourage you to do so. This unbelief or these aspects of our lives that need to continually be redeemed are evident in what we would call the fruit that our lives are producing. In other words, you can look at your life, you can look at the, the 10%, if you will, of the iceberg above the waterline, and you can look at what your behavior is, and it will tell you what's going on in your heart. That's unsettling. That's unsettling. I can look at your life and watch your interactions with people, and I can tell a lot about your life. That's creepy. But Jesus made it very clear that what is going on in your life is directly rooted in your heart. And so we start looking at, at, at our behavior, and we start to look at areas of our lives that are, are being challenged. And so our, our fruit that's produced by our lives, our behavior is a key indicator of what's going on in our hearts. Now, often... These things, or, or the, the, the difficulty, the challenges of the fruit in our life, the hardships, most of it we sweep under the rug. We just ignore it. And if you live with somebody long enough as a spouse, they've learned to ignore much of that too, and they just quote-unquote accept it. Jesus never accepts it. It's not, it's not his desire for us. And so, um, usually... When these things become such a problem that it's hurting our relationships and ourselves, we start to address it. Or, we're in community. And a brother comes alongside and goes, Hey brother, I'm going to speak the truth in love to you. Hey sister, I see something going on in your life and I just feel like God wants me to say something to you. You see, this is the beauty of community. In, in couples, we learn to deal and to make the best of this stuff. But in community, we can see stuff that you can't see. And we can point out stuff that you may not even be aware of in your own life. But community provides us the opportunity to do this with each other. Now, when somebody comes to you and says, by the way, there are three ways to respond. One way is what I would call flight. Flight. We just, get, we, we just get all upset and, and anxious, and, and we just say, it's not true. It's not true. You know what you're talking about. Have you ever done this? You've gone to a brother or sister, and you say, hey, is there something wrong? And they go, no. And you're like, what do you mean, no? Just by going, no, yes, there is. But we don't want to deal with it, so we say no. And we pretend like there's nothing wrong, but there's something wrong. That's called flight. 
That's conflict. I don't want to deal with it. It's an avoidance kind of a technique. What is that? That's human, but that's not of God. God wants you to say, what is it you are seeing? Help me to understand what you're seeing. Because that's what family does. We come alongside each other and we help each other in the good times and in the hard. And we're honest with each other and we help each other. You know, um, I, I have a tendency from time to time to offend people. Have you ever noticed that? I just do. I, I don't know why. I think I'm a pretty nice guy. I'm a pretty lovable dude. I, I know I'm depraved, but I know. But, but every once in a while I offend somebody. And when I hear somebody has left the church because I have offended them, I can't tell you how upset that makes me. I'm right here. Come talk to me. If you can open the scriptures and show me where I'm wrong, I'll be the first to admit it. But if you can't, then maybe there's a problem with where you're at. And let's have that conversation. But people flee. And you know what I've discovered for some of these people anyways, not all of them, but for some of these people, what they have is an avoidance in, in difficult times and relationships that they actually have a whole track record of life with. In their personal lives, they've got this whole track record of ill and, 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 and broken relationships, and they've got this whole track record of broken relationships with churches. Why? Because they never stuck around long enough to deal with the issues to become more Christ-like through them. Instead, we just run. Or, we get angry. What do you mean? What do you mean? I don't know what you're talking about. Our tone goes up and our, our, you know, our face gets red and people now feel threatened. Oh my gosh, I'm sorry I ever said anything. And we kind of double up our fists and we're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. People like that tend to, tend to, tend to be uh, uh, do-it-themselves kind of people. I can do this. I can fix this. You know, we white-knuckle this stuff and we'll search the internet. We'll read books. We'll, I can do this. I can do this. No, you can't. No, you can't. Fear. Flight, anger, fight are ways we respond when we feel threatened. But the way God wants us to respond is with faith. What are you seeing? Help me to understand so that I can deal with these issues that are going on in my life. Somebody said this, I think it's well said. Most of us have never really understood that Christianity is not a self-help religion. Let me say that again. Most of us have never really understood that Christianity is not a self-help religion meant to enable moral people to be more moral. We don't need a self-help book. We need a savior. We don't need to get our collective act together. We need death and resurrection and life-transforming truths of the gospel. And we don't need them just once. At the beginning of our Christian life, we need them every moment of every day. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me daily. You begin your journey with him by repentance and faith. Every step of the journey, therefore, is going to be about repentance and faith. And when we say no, fight or flight, we're actually short-circuiting the very growth that he wants to make in our lives. This is why we're here, people. This is what it's about to be the church. It's not just to be happy. I want you happy. I like to make people happy. But it's really about being holy. It's about being like Christ. 
And sometimes that means we just have to learn to deal with the problems. So, all of this behavior, now let's take a quick peek. Now, in what area here might our behavior stick out as a problem? Go ahead and look, just kind of think through. Uh, give, give me a, a for instance. Uh, my behavior is sticking out as a problem. Okay? How? This is not Jeopardy. You won't lose $10 million. Okay, so you're unforgiving. Yep, yep, that can happen very easily. How about this one? Be kind. What does that even mean? It means I, I tolerate people until I'm done tolerating them. Is that what that means? No, it actually goes deeper than that. It goes, it goes further than that. How about bearing one another's burdens? So long as it's not burdensome, right? <laughs> Isn't that how that is? Uh, serve one another. Sure, when we get together for our potlucks, I'll serve them. Um, confess your sins. What? <laughs> You're not my priest. <laughs> No, I'm not, and neither are you. But we're actually called to go to one another and confess where we've been wrong. So what you're seeing here is there's all kinds of indicators where our, our, our fruit could be bad or rotten. And rotten fruit indicates what comes out in the fruit is true from the root. And what we're revealing is that our behavior is connected to wrong belief. There is something in our minds and in our understanding about who we are and who God is that is wrong. And it is now coming out in our character or in our behavior. And so you can take whatever fruit you see on the tree, whatever reactions or all these things, and you can trace it back ultimately to the root in a wrong belief system. This is what I want you to understand. You see, repentance is a change of mind. I have always thought this, or I have always believed this, but now I understand that's wrong. I repent, and I embrace the truth. And in changing your mind through repentance and faith, you're changing your life. But it all comes back to your belief system. There's a big difference between knowledge and belief, by the way. You can know a lot of things, but do you really believe it? If you do, it'll come out in your attitude and your actions. Whew. All right. Now, Oh, we've just started. What time is it? Oh, I got five minutes. <laughs> let's, let's, let's talk about how to actually change this. This is where things get a little bit more technical, but ultimately it's not that hard to understand. It begins with recognizing. We need to recognize what is going on in our lives? What are our attitudes telling us? What are our actions towards others revealing to us? Because according to Jesus, that's the fruit that's connected to this root of unbelief, actually, or a false belief about who God is. So we begin by looking at our lives. What am I experiencing right now in my life? What am I experiencing right now in my life? Do I have fear? Do I have unforgiveness? Am I filled with anxiety? 
Am I, am, I, am I doing actions that I know are inconsistent with what God desires? Am I ignoring people's needs? What are you seeing right now in your own heart, in, in your life? David said this in Psalm 139, and this is very important for the child of God. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And if there be a grievous way in me, lead me in the way everlasting. You see, if we really want transformation, it begins by admitting that there's a problem. And again, sometimes the spouse is good about bringing up this problem. Sometimes a brother or sister will come along and say, you know, there's something going on here, and I I just want to say I love you, and I want to help you work through it. What am I experiencing? Then secondly, and you know what? Just just draw this image and put this together on a piece of paper for yourself. And I want you to hang little bits of fruit on the tree of your life. I am anxious. I am am angry. I'm I'm envious. I'm, I'm unhappy. Put whatever is fruit in your life right now. Because this fruit has a root, and we're going to get to the root. You're all just looking at me, and very few people are drawing. I know you're not there yet. I mean, perfect. <laughs> we all got lots of bad fruit to deal with. And this is what we're talking about. The family is designed to help each other grow in Christ. So what am I experiencing? Secondly, I need to ask myself this question. Or I need to deal with the issue of repentance. Once I recognize there's an issue, now I need to move down the pathway of repentance. Here we go. The first step in repentance is what am I believing about myself? What am I believing about myself? That somehow I have to have control? That somehow this situation is dependent on me? That somehow uh, I have to fix it? What am I believing about me? Because that makes a huge difference. Now we get into the heart of the issue. What has God done? And in the situation you may find yourself in right now, maybe it's a marriage that you've been in for years that is just really not going well, and you're saying, what has God done? Nothing. Because it's not any better. What has God done? I don't know. I can't seem to see him showing up anywhere. Maybe that, that's how you feel. As you think about God and who he is and what he has done, your reality is he's not doing anything that's making this any better. That brings us to the heart of the issue. The very crux of the issue is this. Who is God? Dear ones, the bad fruit comes from a lie you're believing about God. Our belief system is screwed up on some level about who God truly is. Again, let me say this. We know a lot, but we don't believe a lot. Let me just show you how much we all know. God is good. See, we know that. We can recite that. But do you really believe that? 
See, there's a big difference between knowing something and really truly believing it. When you believe it, it changes your attitude and it changes your actions. So that brings us to the crux of the matter. Who is God? Do you question the goodness of God in your life? Is God truly good to you? Do you truly perceive that's who He is? But if, if He were really good, Pastor Bill, my situation would be different. Not true. Because in His goodness, He's refining you to make you like Jesus Christ. That's what the Scriptures teach us. That God... Um, Romans chapter 8 says this, we know that all things work together for the good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That means even the bad in your life, God's working for good. So God's nature is good. He's a good, good father. Even though your experience presently may not be giving you that intention, you need to understand that's who he is. Your circumstances do not change the goodness of the nature of God. And so he is good, and you need to believe that. You also question, is he truly great? If he were truly great, then he could fix this situation. If he was sovereign like he claims to be, why doesn't he deliver me? Is he truly gracious? Because I seem to live with a lot of shame and guilt in my life. I really struggle with so much of this stuff. I have a really poor sense of self-image. If God, why do I really struggle with that? And then, is God really glorious? These are the four components of the nature of who God is that we wrestle with one way or the other. And in, in our wrong belief, we misunderstand one of these truths about who God truly is. So, starting at the top, what's that rotten fruit growing on your tree? Trace it. Who do you think you are? What has God done? And what is it that you're believing about God that's not true? You see, this is where repentance comes in. I have been believing a lie. I have been believing a lie. And it's only when you come to this place that change can happen. Because now you repent. God, oh God, my Father, forgive me for doubting your goodness. Oh God, God, my Father, forgive me for doubting your grace. Oh God, God, my Father, I know you are all powerful and I look forward to the day where you make all things new again. Oh God, my Father, I look forward to your glory and glorifying you now. Forgive me for the lie that I've been living concerning you. And ultimately, all of these truths find their connection right here in the cross. You see, that bad fruit you're dealing with, Jesus already paid for it. That bad fruit that's growing out in your life, that attitude, that anger, that envy, that jealousy, Jesus already dealt with all of it. He's taken every lick of it to the cross. He's dealt with it completely, and he gives you nothing more than grace and love back. That is what God has done. This is who God is. That is what God has done. And what am I believing about myself? Ultimately, you need to understand that you are God's beloved child. Now, there are like 90 different ways God refers to his children. So I could throw up there, you're an overcomer. You're, you're salt and light. You're, 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 you're. But I just, I just love being his child. Thank you, Father. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for forgiving me in Jesus. I know I don't deserve it but I thank you for it. 
please now, help me to forgive. Please now, help me to go to the person that I exploded at and ask them for forgiveness. Please now, help me to deal with this issue in my life that's centered around a false idol that I believe in would bring me pleasure or good or, or something that it never has. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you. And so what happens as we go through this process, and you know what? It can take as little as 10 minutes or it can take 10 days. When we come out the other side, we can rejoice in Jesus. The bad fruit is finally being plucked off the tree of our lives and is being replaced with the good fruit of God's love and grace. This is what he does. And this is what we as a family are meant to experience together. And so what I just want you to notice, so when we do that, he's now redeeming another section of our hearts. More of our hearts are being redeemed by Christ and more and more of our lives are starting to show the life of Christ. There's always going to be a part of our lives that will constantly be worked on until we meet Jesus. None of us is going to be perfect this side of life. But he doesn't want you to stop now and wait. He wants us to deal with the bad fruit by repentance and faith. Faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. a lot of stuff this morning. But if you don't get anything, get this. We are family. And as family, by God's goodness and grace, we're stuck with each other. Now let's grow together in who he is. Thank you, Jesus. Let me pray. Father God, um, wow. You have devised the perfect plan to take us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your dear Son and to continue to cause our light to shine brighter and brighter and brighter. And that is simply by repenting of unbelief or wrong belief and believing, putting faith in truth about you, about your Son, about what you've already done for us in living in the light of your grace and your goodness and your glory and your greatness and your generosity. Father, I pray today that people in our family would be set free from this corrupt fruit that's been destroying their lives and relationships. That happens when repentance happens. Please, oh God, Bring your glory down. Change our lives. May we be the unique people of God. I pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. I just want to say that if you have a need, please express it. I will do everything within the church's control to help you meet that need. Emotional, spiritual, financial, whatever it may be, that's why we are here. See you later, brothers and sisters. See you later.